So I'm John Kane, and I welcome you to Let's Talk Native on this Saturday, March 28th. March 28th is my grandson's birthday. So I'm going to wish my grandson, Talon, a happy birthday. Um, couldn't have a party, so we did one of those car parades in front of his house, beeping the horns and decorations. Yeah, yeah, we did that. All right. <laughs> anyway, today is, is Saturday, March 28th, uh, 2020, the year that it is. Um, while this program may not provide a path to spiritual enlightenment, we do encourage and in some cases start conversations. We kind of break the rules here for Native Radio. We don't do Buffalo speeches. We don't do prayers. We don't practice in mysticism. <laughs> we take a tough, tough look at history, oppression, and survival. We talk about culture, the arts, politics, and identity. And we may step on a few toes along the way. But our real goal here is to bring people together by breaking down what separates us. We will take on the false narratives and provide critical thinking to all that is heaped upon us. And we do it all right here live from the Cattaraugus Territory of the Seneca Nation. So let's talk native. But first, let me remind people that our audio streams live on our website, which is www.letstalknative.com. We stream live video of the show, and I'll talk about that a little bit more. Of the, we stream live video of the show on Facebook Live on a bunch of Facebook group pages, thanks to my wife, uh, including our Facebook group page for Let's Talk Native. Uh, we take the audio and we put it up on SoundCloud, uh, which goes out as a podcast on all your favorite podcast platforms. We take the video and we put it up on our YouTube channel, which is Let's Talk Native TV. So subscribe to our podcast, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and you'll catch not only uh, videos of the show um, uh, with, with the YouTube channel in particular, but you'll also catch some of our short-form videos that we do. Um, I am the show's host and producer, but I'm joined here in studio by, uh, by Jake Proud, who's managing our audio and our video, and, uh, and, and contributes in a, in a big way to the show, so I want to um, acknowledge that as well. Um, all right, let's get into it. COVID-19, yes, we do have to talk about it, um, and it, it's not even that we have to um, because there's nothing else to talk about, but it, it is the dominant thing that we're dealing with right now. Um, do want to get into into some of the numbers because, you know, if if you if you watch, if, if, if you only get your information from Facebook, um, you're, you're limited on how current some of the numbers are. The world numbers at this point, 600. 163,000 cases, uh, 30,000 deaths. Um, so all of you who thought this was, you know, just a minor thing was never going to be as big as the flu and that kind of stuff. We're getting the, we're, we're hitting those numbers. The United States, 123,498. So 123,005 for all intents and purposes. Uh, total deaths are over 2,000, uh, 2,211 deaths. Um, there are a significant number of serious cases, yet um, the United States has well blown past any other country in terms of total cases. They're, they pass Italy and China in, within the same, almost within the same few minutes. Um, the United States will surpass uh, uh, Iran and France for total deaths um, probably by tomorrow they'll so they will surpass china within the next couple of days china's got uh 3300 uh deaths total deaths and u.s has uh you know 2200 and they had uh, over 500 almost 600 just today um uh italy is still you know just skyrocketing on this thing they although their total cases are are you know are about 92,000. They have 10,000 deaths. They had almost 900 um, deaths just uh, just today. These numbers are 
here's what I got to say about the numbers. If you do the math, and again, these are just confirmed by test. So they are in the United States. Again, the United States still only has about, you know, one tenth of one percent of the population tested. So and, and, and it's growing all the time, the amount of people they have tested. But it's still a small percentage of the overall population. But based on these numbers, there's a lot of debate on, on what is the mortality rate of this disease. If you base it on the, on the numbers, the total numbers of the world, and the bigger numbers that you have, the more accurate the, re, the, the calculation is. If you do, do a, to, a calculation right now, and then here's how you do it, folks. If you want to do it at home, you take the total number of deaths and you divide that by the total number of cases. And if you do that, you're going to come, uh, come out not at 1%, not at 2%. You're going to be coming out at at, at like 4.7%, almost 4.8%. You're starting to get close to 5% mortality rate on this thing based on the global numbers. And, and that mortality rate is increasing. It's not going down as more numbers come in. So I think it's important that people realize that anybody who said, well, when all, anybody, I mean Trump, but, but anybody who says, well, I think the mortality rate is going to come in at a number, you know, probably less than 1%. Well, that's not the way indicators are. That's not the way. That's not the way the trend is. Even in the United States, again, you, if you divide the total number of deaths, twenty two hundred, by the total number of cases, one hundred twenty three thousand, you're still going. It, it's still only one point six, you know, or one point seven percent. But that number is getting higher as time goes on. And the United States should have a lower mortality rate because you know of, of the science and the you know. What we, what we think is, is a, a superior hospitals. And I'm not saying the healthcare is superior, but in general, there are pretty smart people and we've got some, uh, you know, we, sh- we should have better equipment, you know, in, in, on this continent. But anyway, the numbers are starting to go the other way where it's, it's increasing. The mortality rate is not dropping down as, as more cases are, uh, are exposed. It is actually, the mortality rate is rising. It's still well below the world rates, but here's the thing. Part of the reason the 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 global numbers are are uh, higher in terms of mortality rate is because many of these countries have reached that um, that point where they've overrun their hospitals. So they do have people who can't get uh, ICU beds. They do have you know uh, people who can't get put on ventilators. And and again, I want to explain that again. Currently, the United States has not run out of ventilators to use in in their hospitals. When they do, and, and when there's, there ends up being this debate over who gets one, who doesn't get one, that rate of uh, mortality rate is going gonna, is, is gonna to climb because you're not going to have enough. Look, it's not even about the ventilator. It's enough hospital staff. It's about enough beds. It's, it's all those things. Look, it's great. Turn the Javits Center into a hospital. Send a, you know, um, um, a Navy hospital you know, boat you know, ship to the, to the Port of New York. There's only two of those. One on the and they're gonna put one on the west coast, one on the east coast. That's that may not be enough. I mean, and in fact, it probably isn't going to be enough. So, whatever numbers that are this mortality rate that's increasing right now is increasing with all of the fully operational and and fully capable medical staff and and gear. Once that starts being overrun, there are going to be more and more uh, more and more deaths. And uh, look, this all sounds like terrible news. And the reason it sounds like terrible news, it is terrible news. And look, I know there's a lot of people out there who think that this is, uh, that still insist that this is all hype and that it's uh, fear-mongering and that it's not true, it's false flag and all that stuff. Well, 
I think Native people have every right to be skeptical. They have every right, because of history, to, to say, I'm not sure I'm believing what the news is telling me. I'm not believing what the government's telling me. You, you have a right to be cynical. You have a right to be skeptical. But at some point, the, the, the truth on the ground starts to matter. So I think, and, and I'm there. And I know a lot of other Native people who, who I've known for years who said, no, nah, I don't believe any of this stuff. They're becoming believers. And, and it shouldn't take you having to lose a loved one to become a believer. If you, I, I can honestly say that I know somebody who, who has the virus now. You know, one of the producers at, uh, um, in, at WBAI uh, was diagnosed positive. So I know, I do know a human being personally that, that has the virus, not just some, some name I heard on, on, you know, on television. So it starts to get closer and closer. All right, so here I am on the Cattaraugus Territory of Seneca Nation. So how close is it to us here? Well, there was a brush. There was a brush with it because one of the, uh, the, the clinic staff members, a non-Native person who doesn't live on territory, was tested positive, but apparently hasn't infected anybody here. Thus far, the Cattaraugus Territory here, and, uh, and, and I'll include uh, all of Seneca Nation, has not um, had anybody test positive with the virus. So thus far, there, there are none here. Um, all of the counties around us, the you know the three counties that are around the Cattaraugus territory or that surround uh, the Allegheny territory, they have cases. Even Cattaraugus County, which was a, a, a county that did not have any cases, they uh, they have one as of yesterday. I think they, uh, one tested positive. Um, in uh, Erie County, they've tested. There's uh, there's a bunch. There's like 350. <clears throat> cases in Erie County. Chautauqua County has at least um at least two or three, I believe. So those are the three counties that th- that um the 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 Cattaraugus territory uh, borders and and of course uh um Sal- uh, the Allegheny territory is within uh, is considered within you know, Cattaraugus County. Um even even from a township standpoint uh, in on the Erie County side of the uh, uh, you know uh, uh, of the Cattaraugus territory, the towns close by North Collins, you know uh, that, uh, where my son lives, where my grandson lives, uh, whose birthday it is today, they had one case and that and that one person uh, infected two other people in the family, so now they're up to three cases. There, um, the the village of Gowanda hasn't had a case yet, nor has the town of Brant, but. Um, but immediately outside that, there, there's there's a bunch. So it is it's kind of closing in, uh, and you know, and and that's why it is so important that we don't we do everything we can to keep um, uh, a distance, especially from from the elderly, from from our older folks, and and try to not to you know, look. Just don't go out and 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 do any unnecessarily uh, unnecessary social mingling. That you know, that's, that's all that's all we can say. All right, but I do want to talk a little bit more about, um, well, look, I've got a bunch of things written down here. I guess to talk about the home front here. As many of you know, uh, the Seneca Nation shut down uh, its major revenue sources, the um, the casinos. Um, they shut them down, which was supposed to be just a two-week shutdown. It's clearly not shutting down. Uh, I know they've laid off now. They, they didn't just suspend people with administrative paid administrative leave they are um they're a bunch are, are being 
officially laid off, I think, next week, by the end of next week or something like that. Um, so that's happening, which, which clearly means they aren't going to be opening up within, you know, a couple of weeks. Um, so there's that. And, that, and that's a huge, has a huge impact in Seneca Nation because that's, that, is, that is the source of their public finance. They're, the finances for the Seneca Nation, um, 90% of them come, you know, or, or something like that, uh, comes from, from gaming revenue. So that's, you know, that's a huge hit to the Seneca Nation. Now, one of the things that, and I mentioned this early on when I first talked about the casino shutting down, is you know, the 800-pound gorilla in the room is still this half a billion dollars. In fact, Ross John sat, sat right beside me here talking about this. There's, there's still a half a billion dollars that the Seneca Nation has set aside because of this fight that they're having with New York State trying to squeeze them for revenue. Apparently, um, uh, something rolled off the lips of the of the governor uh, this week, uh, citing again the need for that for that revenue, as if the Seneca Nation doesn't need it. I mean, it, 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 look, the United States can just print more money. That's what they do, and that's what they did. Uh, that's essentially how they they're bailing out Wall Street. It's how they they put two trillion dollars aside for this stimulus package that's supposed to help overcome some of you know what this has done to the American economy. Um, the Seneca Nation doesn't have that luxury. They're not, they can't just print money. And uh, so the, the fact that they've got this money sitting there, that they, in their, in, in their minds and, and by the language of, of the compact, should not have to pay to New York State. And in fact, it, they're, I mean, it, they certainly aren't getting it. Have, they certainly don't have an exclusivity, exclusivity today because nobody's operating. You know, who does, you know who does have an exclusivity for gaming? New York State. Their lotteries are still flying, you know, flying fine. They're they're still selling lottery tickets, and they're still they they've cornered the market on gaming. <laughs> you know, and and again, I realize that it's not casino gaming, and and some people can say, well, that's not really necessary. Well, I'm just saying it is what it is. So the Seneca Nation is still in the in the throes of this battle with New York State over over this gaming revenue and that conversation is probably going to heat up especially it's it's going to heat up if the Seneca Nation has to start using those funds for for operations you know for to to operate the Seneca Nation and I don't know how they're going to avoid it they can't avoid it for too long they don't have that much money set aside you know a rainy day fund this is exactly what this money could have been set aside for but instead, it's been set aside, you know, as as a potential extortion payment they have to pay to New York State. So I mentioned that early on in this in this as this thing was unfolding, and I think it's worth mentioning again, especially since, from what I understand, um, somebody must have pressed the governor. Said, "What about those damn Indians? Are they paying?" You know, and, and he and he gave some response, I guess. Now, there's also another buzz, and I don't know if this is even true because one of the sources of this information. Is some is something that I don't consider reliable. The Buffalo Chronicle, um, th- they suggested that the state is considering shutting down tobacco sales for six weeks. Now I haven't I've watched some of the news conferences and that kind of stuff, and and I haven't heard that, so I don't know where this guy you know who writes this thing um, you know put gets that information. But that buzz has already made it back to the territory, and so the the question ends up being, well, will the smoke shops on the territory shut down? Now here's. I got I got to address this. Even though it's only a rumor and I don't I can't put any substance to the idea that either the Seneca Nation or the private sector is considering shutting down their shops, let's be clear. These are the only stores we have. We don't have grocery stores on our territory. Look, 
we're not in the food deserts that that exist in some places, some other native territories. But if our store shut down and they are anchored by tobacco and fuel sales, you know, so the fact that we have sea stores on our territory, they're they're convenience stores now, but they were just smoke shops at one time. Now they're they are full service convenience stores where you can buy a loaf of bread, you can buy you know water or you know or or beverages, you can buy um, you know milk you you can get some necessities at at these stores if they have to shutter them because they can't they can't uh do any, any tobacco sales or, or if they have to lose money and, and and operate at a loss look some of that part of that business is probably a loss leader it is probably not a huge profit margin they make it on the gas and they make it on, on the on the tobacco so the idea that that you know the governor or anybody else out in uh, in the rest of the the, the outside uh, in the state would suggest well tobacco sales would be a good thing to, to shut down right now and 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 if you're going to try to make some medical reason for it you know here's something i got to say about that as well i'm not a fan of smoking i'm not really a, a fan of smoking anything just because i think the idea of breathing smoke into your lungs is probably not and it's not to condemn smoking cannabis or anything else i'm just not a fan of smoking in general um but having said that, <laughs> I think there are people who smoke and it is a coping mechanism, both tobacco and, <laughs> and cannabis. I, you know, we're going to praise these truckers that are over the road bringing, you know, you know grocery items and, and the necessities that we need every single day across the road. I know a lot of truckers smoke. And you know what that smoke helps them do? It helps them stay awake. That nicotine gives them a charge. So while I'm not advocating cigarette smoking i'm going to fully acknowledge that there that there are some short-term benefits that people get out of smoking you know whether it relaxes them whether it's you know you know again a coping mechanism for stress whether it's you know whatever it is even if it is just fulfilling the addict the addiction need it is doing that if you think in a time of stress you're going to take away tobacco, especially considering New York State and the governor said, well, liquor stores are an essential service. Alcohol sales are an essential service. So he acknowledges that. But, but if you're going to suggest that, that, that while alcohol sales is necessary, um, there's any consideration for, for, for prohibiting tobacco sales. Look, Governor, if you if you plan to do that out there, then then by all means do it. But I hope the Seneca Nation and I hope Seneca retailers and wholesalers are not seriously considering this. For one thing, just from a business, a practical business sense, if the state does it, we're going to get a lot more business on our territories. <laughs> I guarantee that. Now, that's a reason we don't have a whole lot of economic activity on our territories. That's one of the few things that we have, and. I don't think that um, in in the overall scheme of things with this whole COVID-19 scare, I don't think that we should shut this thing down. You know, most of the stores, including the store that's, that, that's on the same property that uh, that my studio here is on, they've already, you know, um, did some remediation that, you know, you don't go in and touch everything in a store. You, you know, it's almost like a drive-through. You go up there and you, you tell the clerk what you want, they give it to you. And, uh, you know, the, the gas station, for instance, doesn't even, um, it's pay at the pump. So they've already done some things, and, and most of the stores have already done something. Either they've they've shifted towards towards some, some sort of major drive-through or drive-through-like service. I think that's that's enough precaution to take. So, 
if there's any retailers or wholesalers out there listening, and I, look, I know I have a couple of retailers and wholesalers, and in fact, even a manufacturer who's a, who's a sponsor of the show, don't cave to New York State. Uh, and I don't think that New York State even expects to impose this on, on our territories. But, you know, one of the things that I heard, well, everybody's afraid the Seneca Nation is going to look bad. You know what? Bullshit. I mean, I don't think the, the states are always going to dog the Seneca Nation, and, and they always have anyway. They rarely ever say anything positive. If, if we ever do anything that contributes to New York State, it never gets mentioned. In fact, even the local towns, even when, when Byron Brown in Buffalo does the State of Buffalo speech, and he talks about economic development, barely even mentions the Seneca Nation. So, Look, we don't need to. We we don't need to kiss their ass, to, you know, to stay in their good graces. We need to do the things that are that are good for for our people, and frankly, does provide a service to off territory. So, look, if there's if there really is any consideration to shutting down tobacco sales in the state, I think it's a bad idea. I I think you're you're really you're really adding stress to 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 a stressed population by doing that. Bottom line. But but state governor Cuomo, if that's what you're doing, then have at it. But I hope the Seneca Nation is not considering following suit there. And and I'll tell you, it concerns me. It concerns me that that when the state changes a adopts a policy, that the that the Seneca Nation or any other native territories follow suit with the state, almost as if they feel um, like they've got to comply with state law. I that's uh, look when they when they changed the smoking age from 18 to to 21 or whatever all the smoke shops did it well if that was a good policy then why didn't you do that before the state did I mean that's my point if if you think shutting down tobacco sales and I'm not saying you are considering it but if you think that's a good policy then why are you waiting for the governor to tell you to do it I uh, you know I one of the things that I always found problematic even with the gaming not only do the the most gaming operations especially you know almost all class three gaming operations throughout um all native territories they operate under igra which which puts them in bed with the states so if your argument is gaming is is legal because of our sovereignty well you give a bunch of that away the second you step you know slip into bed with the state but even in in the situations where where you're where you're Saying that sovereignty is the is the reason that IGRO Indian Gaming Regulatory Act was passed, and even if you're selling some selling goods there tax free, like like gas and cigarettes, like the Santa Nation has a has a um, one of their uh, gas stations up there in Niagara Falls. The part that I find problematic is your alcohol sales are being done under a New York State liquor license. That that just kind of blows my mind away. So. You know, our relationship with the state is is really, really touchy. Um, and it's not good. And, and I don't mean it's touchy in, in a good way. <laughs> I'm not touchy-feely in a good way. No, it's, it is, um, it's problematic. And, you know, as I've talked on this show over and over and over again, when I talk about decolonization, it isn't just window dressing. I'm not saying let's let's throw the word sovereignty out there just you know uh, so it, so it sounds good or feels good rolls off our tongue well. No, we need to unravel, untangle ourselves from those systems of oppression. That's what decolonization is. It isn't about you know having you know you know a stronger name. It's about your actions. It's about what you do to assert that you are not 
under the authority of the state of New York or the United States. It doesn't mean you have to do everything to, that you can to fly in the face of what the state or the federal government does. Or on the, on the, you know, on the Canadian side of uh, that imaginary line. Same with our territories there. We, we should do everything we can to maintain a certain level of distinction. And even as we have a cooperative you know, uh, economic base, because you know, much of our customer base comes from off-territory, look, there's, there's ways of dealing with that. But, the, but make no mistake about it. There are times <laughs> that those people who come onto our lands are problematic. So whether they're, they come on to steal or here's another example. <laughs> Just this week, my, bu- my buddy Matt says, hey, what did you think about the incident on the, on the thruway this week, today or whatever? I said, what incident? Apparently, in the construction zone of the thruway, which is on Seneca Nation land, some guy got pulled over by the cops and then ended up assaulting a bunch of uh, state troopers, I guess. And it turned into a big big brawl and the construction workers got in to, to provide assistance to the cops and um and then they found the guy had like a, a, you know a weapon and had a pipe bomb in his, in his car uh they it turns out he was from niagara falls and and they found other explosives i don't know what this guy was planning but uh doesn't sound like he was uh you know planning a, a you know a fourth of july celebration at least not the one that <laughs> most americans have i guess um, but there's an example of people that, who come onto our territory. In this case, they may not seem. For many many people say, "Well, he was just on the throughway." Well, like it or not, that's still Seneca Nation territory. And I haven't heard of much of a, of a response out of Seneca Nation on this, by the way, either. But that's that's a whole other issue. But I, but again, I think it's we we understand that we aren't a remote territory in in the wilderness, and and many native territories are very very separated from from the non-native population ours isn't and so we have to be concerned about how we deal especially with this covid19 this you know this coronavirus uh issue we have to be concerned about it and and we should be but it doesn't mean that we have to cave into everything the state says and and i think it's important that people realize that there are issues where we, we are still strongly at odds with the state on a number of issues including tobacco i mean let's be let me again affirm this one more time as far as the state's concerned our tobacco sales are taxable as far as they're concerned i mean they'll admit okay we can't we we don't have the right to tax sales to senecas but as far as the state's concerned every smoke shop filled with tobacco that doesn't have a new york state stamp on it is contraband as far as the state of new york is concerned so there's no reason for us to comply with a state that regards us in this way I mean, there's, there's just no way that we should they know they can't enforce certain things like trying to tax our sales so why cave even if, if the state is considering shutting down tobacco sales and this may be all about nothing so i mean i don't i don't want to make a make a big deal about this until this until this rumor has a little more more meat on it but i do, I do have to say to any native territory out there if if you've carved out a an economy in spite of what the state has tried to do to you don't cave in now because uh, you know the the safety concerns as it relates to the coronavirus are no more than any other store that sells grocery items and our stores do do that as well all right hey we're at the we're we're at the bottom of the hour so i'll take a break and uh and then we'll we'll come right back i do have some other things to talk about i want to talk about what's uh, what's happening in mashpee um 
and uh, you know, maybe we'll even talk about this stimulus package a little bit. But uh, we'll uh, we'll get into that when we come back. This is John Kane. This is Let's Talk Native. All right, thanks for coming back. This is John Kane. This is Let's Talk Native. Yeah, Jake was just kind of filming me. He looked up the the guy from Niagara Falls. Uh, apparently, he had his whole house rigged to blow up. I don't know, you know. Crazy times. Um, there, you know. Look, there are crazy people in the world. Anyway, add a um, you know a, a global pandemic, and you might elevate that level of crazy. That's one of the reasons why I think the idea of trying to force people to to go without cigarettes for for six weeks. Look, I know that that you know addiction is is real, and this is a t- this is a tough one. So, um, look, hey, this would be a good time for people to try to quit smoking, but you know, but. I think the idea of, the, uh, of any kind of forced government shutdown of of something that uh, that it, like this is is addictive. And for one thing, you're gonna you're gonna make the uh, what, what's the, what do they call those nicoderm patches? You're gonna make those nicotine patches uh, a run on those things. It, the, look, it'll be just be a crazy world. So if you're considering it, don't Cuomo. If you're considering it, don't. Um, besides that, you the state makes a lot bunch of revenue off of those sales too, including um, their uh, what is it, their Tobacco Settlement Act fund. So just just cool your jets here. All right, um, <laughs> couple of things. You know, it's funny you you, you lock it, when you live, no matter where you live in the United States, the two people you're seeing on the news the most on this thing happen to be Governor Cuomo, Andrew Cuomo, and uh, and and Donald Trump, the president. And there's no question that Trump looks like a bloody idiot most of the time on the on the news. I mean, he just wanders around and just he can't stay on topic. He, you know, he can't even talk about anything, even a crisis, without talking about how wonderful he is, how wonderful a job he's done. I mean, he even he even uh, suggested to to the vice president that they should cut off any contact with any governor who doesn't appreciate what the federal government's doing. It's like. It's like they got to kiss his ass or something here. I mean, it's it's, it's pathetic. But then you got you got um, uh, Andrew Cuomo. I'm not a fan of fan of Andrew Cuomo. Don't get me wrong. But there's no question the guy is far more articulate on, on his press conferences and that kind of stuff, on his daily news briefings and that kind of thing. And he's won over a lot of people. There are certain people who are suggesting that you know Cuomo for president all of a sudden. It's, it's like that's even that's becoming a thing. Um, I hope not. But you know what? It doesn't matter who the president is as far as I'm concerned. We face the same obstacles either way. But um, I'm not going to jump onto the, onto the Andrew Cuomo bandwagon. Because I'm going to flat out tell you. I think Cuomo's actions were too, uh, were too little too late as well. And he, and you know I heard the last uh, thing that he had said was that he believes the apex in these in in, the, in these cases these new cases and, and the spread of this disease are still you know 14 to 21 days away. I don't know what he says. His experts are predicting that. I don't know what they're basing it on. If they're basing it on what what South Korea and what what China went through, there's no comparison on what China and South Korea did to stop the you know to try to stop this thing. They locked people in in their houses. They actually separated family members from the rest of their family to stop the spread. Most of the the people who were were tested positive. Check the news. Most of the people who are tested positive, what you always see is um, they they quarantined at home. Oh, really? Did they? They quarantined at home. So, in other words, they're, they're still spreading the disease to their to their family members because 
how do you know for one thing i mean and i i know people are afraid of the draconian measures that uh that china or even south korea may have taken but but again if you're going to compare what you think is the graph or the trend in the united states to to a country that took much to countries that took much stronger uh you know positions on this thing i don't think those those numbers you better compare yourself to italy <laughs> you better compare yourself to spain these are two countries that are in, in dire dire trouble and not to mention i don't know that i completely believe all the numbers out of china and not because i think they're trying to hoodwink anybody necessarily i just don't know that once they stabilized their urban areas and they felt like they they created enough space between the urban areas china is a huge country with with a billion and a half people i suspect they didn't test a billion and a half people i suspect if you look at all the people that tested i don't know that that they've that they've tested a a large percentage or a significant percentage of their population they may just feel like we did enough and so you know i'm not calling china liars i'm not and i'm not trying to ridicule them or whatever else um i look i i feel bad for any country that faces including the united states i'm not saying i feel bad for trump i mean just it, it just grates me to listen to to the guy talk i mean but and again the likelihood is there's there's enough americans that are that if if they get a bunch of money sent to them like like trump is promising that they say, oh well, he helped me out. Uh, you know, I guess we'll vote for him again. I, I I fear that that Trump will get reelected because, in spite of the coronavirus and in spite of his his poor um, response to the whole thing. But you know, uh, we'll see how that that plays. By the way, anybody, uh, any individuals who are, are really excited about the fact that they're they're going to have their unemployment you know extended or enhanced a little bit, and they might get a check in the mail. Um, in Canada, uh, you know, I, I just saw this posted, so if it's not true, then I apologize. But I did just see this posted. Canada's offering $2,000 per month. I realize it's $2,000 Canadian, which is less, so I get it. Um, they're offering 2000 per month for the next four months. That's what I understand Canada's doing. And I'm not singing the praises of Canada. I've got, that's a whole other issue. But, that, but anybody who thinks that the United States <clears throat> is doing so wonderful by its people, they're still throwing an ungodly amount of money at the rich to keep them rich and that's what's going to happen out of this thing so that's and i don't think there's any question about that um but it does it does invite the question well where do native people fit in with this with the stimulus either on the canadian side or the u.s side you know most of the 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 criterion that is needed to to receive money on the u.s side there's a large segment of the native population in fact a large, large segment of the of the impoverished population that who may need uh, need money the most won't get it because they either didn't fi- they don't file taxes they may be um uh not in their system because you know we have cash-based businesses in our territory we we, we don't necessarily comply with all of the uh the state and federal regs as as it relates to taxing or <clears throat> or whatever so i my fear is that not only um was it was this 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 whole stimulus package designed not to reach everybody i also know there's a lot of native people who said who would say hell no i don't want i don't want any part of it I, i'm not going to get a check from trump and and i'm okay with that i'm not you know if one showed up in the mail with my name on it um would i throw it away probably not and i'm gonna tell you that uh, but um but i'm not expecting one and i'm not i will do nothing 
to try to get a um, a check from the from the federal government. Uh, uh, you know, anyway, I mean, so, and I'm not, I know that I'm not alone. There's a whole lot of people who feel who feel this way. Where does this leave companies, for instance? You know, especially you know some of our companies. And, you know, uh, it does put you know these businesses that are on our territories in in a tough spot. <clears throat> Is the casino gonna get you know get any you know corporate bailout from from the federal government? I highly doubt it. <laughs> I, I I highly doubt it. I will say that the people who were employed by the the casinos now who are going to be um, who are being laid off and and that's most of the people. <clears throat> they are um, they're going to collect unemployment, but you know what? They pay into that unemployment insurance, so yeah, so it's justified. Uh, but I, I did I did want to put that out there. Okay, another thing that I want to talk about because it is a news item that can get overwashed by all this stuff. Just because we're under the assault by you know by a, a virus by this pandemic, <clears throat> excuse me, doesn't mean that we aren't still under assault by you know pipeline uh, building you know by extraction industries all that stuff continues uh you know where i'm seeing you know the folks in uh, Wet'suwet'en territory are still under assault by uh, you know by these pipelines that are going through the territory this stuff continues now what about other stuff well uh, the the mashpee wampanoag um put out a statement today uh or yesterday i'm sorry that um they got word from the Interior Department that um, that the lands that they have been uh, living on um, they have to be declassified as native lands. Yeah, so the lands that they're on, which they had um, acquired and put into federal trust and and to be categorized as quote unquote Indian country, that's being overturned. Now this has been an ongoing battle. Let me explain how this came to be. So during the Obama administration, they uh, the the Mashpee had acquired land, and and their intent is was to pursue gaming, because that is one of the few things that we can do that can generate um, the kinds of public finance that would give, grant us any kind of independence. Um, although although any gaming is some in many ways the antithesis of independence, but uh, but regardless. <clears throat> Excuse me. This is not a corona cough. This is a upper respiratory in my throat. It's not a dry cough, and I don't have a fever. Um, so, <clears throat> so the Mashpee have they they put an application to place this land they've acquired into trust, and it would be considered Mashpee, you know, tribal lands. All right. So that's what they did, and it was approved. Then there were complaints that that there were some technicalities that uh, that were overlooked. Here's what the, one of those technicalities is. And, and I've talked about this on the show before, so let me explain this. There's this... When you look at historically how Native people were viewed by the United States, and, and other countries for that matter, we were recognized as a distinct people. The U.S. Constitution specifically um, carves out um, that we are not to be that we are not to be counted for representation in congress and so when, it, when in the apportionment clause of the u.s constitution they refer to um that we will not be counted for congress for con- congressional representation and they 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 identified as as indians not taxed so they acknowledge that we were not not only were we not taxed 
<clears throat> but as those people not taxed, we are not supposed to be counted for, for representation. So we're not a part of the U.S. Constitution. We're mentioned in two other places in the U.S. Constitution, other than the apportionment clause. One of them was in the treaty clause, right alongside um, the executive, the, the, the president of the United States, negotiating treaties with foreign nations. They, they could negotiate treaties with, with, with native people. Um, and, of course, that would require, you know, consent from uh, approval and consent from, from the Senate. But so we're mentioned in the treaty clause right alongside foreign nations <clears throat> in the um, congressional powers clause uh, or what they call the, the commerce clause of which cites congressional powers. They say Congress shall have the power to regulate commerce in and among several states with foreign nations in and amongst. So the Congress of the states with foreign nations and with Indians or Indian tribes, one or the other. <clears throat> so again, we are put right there alongside foreign nations in terms of our relationship with the United States. It didn't say they had the power to regulate commerce of Indians, but with Indians. That's, that's what the U.S. Constitution says. So where does that leave us? It leaves us as a distinct people. And, and in fact, there's lots of language <clears throat> early on that in spite of the doctrine of Christian discovery where the United States talks about negotiating with us, treating with us again, <clears throat> talks about our distinction. Even in, quote-unquote, New York State, there's a lot of language, and you get right up until, you know, the turn of the, of the 19th century, you know, in, into the 20th century, where that distinction is still carved out. But in 1924, let me back up a few years. In 1920, New York State started trying to figure out, well, wait, what is our relationship with, with Native people? And, and why are we paying some of these treaty obligations if, if it came from the, from the United States? So New York State put together an Indian commission that would explore the obligations and the claims that Native people had about sovereignty and, and that kind of stuff, land claims issues. And the New York State Indian Commission determined that Native people were, were owed a tremendous um, debt by by not just New York State but 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 by the United States. You know, um, Edward Everett, the guy who wrote this report, basically said, you know, if the United States could spend, you know, millions of dollars in in treasure and in blood um, fighting World War One, how could they not? Acknowledge the debt that they owe to to the people who who predate their existence, and and how could they not recognize the distinction? And all of a sudden, there's a, there's a lot of language in there, but included in that report was some of the dialogue that went between the state Indian Commission and the federal uh, Indian Commission, and the federal government was 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 suggesting in 1920, well, maybe just make them all citizens. And the the New York State Commission, this was a, was a joint meeting, and they said, you can't just make them citizens. You can't just strip away their identity, you know, and force them to be U.S. You know, that's preposterous. And and again, they, you know, representatives from the, the state in the commission said that would be absurd. <laughs> but lo and behold, in 1924, the the U.S. Congress, state and and, and House, passed the um, the Snyder Act. And and they makes it the Snyder Bill, I guess. Oh, no, Snyder it was a bill, and then it became an act. So they passed this law, and, and it would be more uh, uh, identified as the Indian Citizenship Act, where the, the where the Congress declares that all Indians within the continental United States 
um, were hereby considered citizens. Let me back that up again. Coming out of the Civil War, when the United States was still trying to deal with the, uh, with the whole slavery issue, they passed the, uh, the, the 14th Amendment in, um, in 1868, I think it was, and they decided, they declared that anybody born in the United States and under U.S. jurisdiction was a U.S. citizen, and that was to include all slaves, essentially. And, and, that, and that still be, that presents itself even today as, as an immigration problem. This whole idea of where if somebody comes here and they're born and they give birth, that, that their child is, is a citizen just because they were born here. Well, so that, that's the, the 14th Amendment. But it says under the jurisdiction, and it says born within the United States. Many of our native territories were still clearly not, dis, not um, uh, considered U.S. soil. Certainly Seneca, Six Nations territories were not. And we weren't under the jurisdiction. So that 14th Amendment didn't apply to us. In 1924, when they passed this Indian Citizenship Act, that's problematic too. There is a provisor in there that says, "Well, nothing in this in this um, in this law will um, uh, should interfere with any uh, um, tribal or, or property, tribal property, or, or, or you know the, the property of, of native people." Which it, clearly it it was intended to. But um, so in 1924, they passed a law. Now. We never asked for this. This was essentially a law that violated international law, which which was had already taken a position on the idea of denationalizing people, stripping away somebody's national character and imposing your own upon it. But you know what? They knew it didn't fly. Why did they? How do I know that? Because in 1934, ten years later, they passed another law called the Indian Citizen or the Indian Reorganization Act. And there's a lot of stuff in there. And, and in this Reorganization Act, which was, the intent was to, to do away essentially with, with traditional governance and create little municipalities, almost in this sense of U.S. federalism, as, as it's been called, to create these little constitutional governments within, within India and, and redefine what, what a Native person was. It was in 1934 that they... You know, they came up with this definition of an Indian as a tribe, band, or nation of Indians subordinate to the laws of the United States. That's what a federally recognized Indian or Indian tribe was. But <laughs> going after that, you still had some reference, there was still some question about who was under the, the, the jurisdiction of the United States. How do I know that? Because in the, the very system, that the, that the Mashpee Wampanoag were trying to use to put land into federal trust, there's language in this, in this process that says, if you were not under U.S. jurisdiction in 1934, you cannot put land into trust. Wait a second. If, if you tried to declare that we were all citizens in 1924, and then clearly we weren't because you had to do this thing in, in 1934, and then in 1934, you try to define all Native people as, you know, as under U.S. jurisdiction. But then afterwards determine, now nah, there were people who were not under U.S. jurisdiction. And now you're going to punish those people by saying, it, regardless of whether you are, a, you are a distinct Native people, regardless of even if you're federally recognized, if you weren't recognized in 1934 as being under the jurisdiction of the United States... We're not going to let you have land. We're not going to, we're not going to let you reclaim land under the, the fee to trust process. 
That's what the mash people have been stuck into. So when my friend Umi Perkins <laughs> posts, you know, the story about the mash people and said, you know, asked John King, what's your opinion on this? Well, my opinion is clear. The reason I have a problem with FedRec, and I spell it W-R-E-C-K, not R-E-C, is because it's all about jurisdiction. It's all about subjugation. And that's what the mash people are, are facing right now. So what do they do with this land? The land isn't going to be taken away from them. They're still going to own it. But they're going to own it under state deed. It's no longer going to be considered, quote unquote, Indian land. So any plans that they, they had had for that land that would have, you know, been um, these these enterprises that, that rely on you know, native sovereignty or, or our distinction, goes away, including gaming. Oh, forget about that. So the mass people have a battle in their hands. And, you know, frankly, I'm all for, you know, sounding the horn and let's, you know, let's do everything we can to support them. This is, this is such bullshit. I mean, there's no, there's no other way to describe it. I mean, and, and, and let's be clear. They didn't have to de, the, the interior department didn't have to change the designation. They didn't have to. And in fact, the federal government can do all kinds of things. The Seneca Nation has a very distinct provision in federal law under the Salamanca Lease Settlement Act where the federal government, an act of Congress was passed to say, look, if you want to reclaim lost land, not in the feed of trust process, but in a, in a process where you take it back to original title, we're including it in, in the settlement. And we're, gonna, we're paying you, you know, so, um, a settlement on, you know, to, to settle what, how we screwed you on the, lease, the Salamanca lease in the first place. And we're going to acknowledge that you have the right to use that money to require lost lands and do it in a process that, that gives you full autonomy over the, that land. I mean, that, that, I mean it's, it, the, the provision in the Salamigli Settlement Act is only about a paragraph long. It's, only, it's literally only a paragraph long. It streamlines the process. It is not this long, drawn-out, contractual, if-then you know, uh, kind of thing. It's basically a 30-day process. Seneca Nation either buys the land or announces that they intend to buy the land, and the and the Interior Department has thirty days to determine um, whether there's any reason that this land should not be held under you know or uh, be you know be interpreted under the Non Intercourse Act, which which means essentially that the land becomes theirs never to leave their possession again. So that's, I mean, the Seneca's had that carved out. It's one of the reasons that I raise hell about Ruth Bader Ginsburg citing, you know, the, the doctrine of impossibility with the city of Cheryl versus the United Nation. I mean, it, there is no such thing as a doctrine of impossibility once the Seneca Nation enters into a, uh, a, a new arrangement with the, with the federal government that says, yes, they can reacquire lost land. So anybody who said you can't do that or anybody who says the only way to do it is through the, the feed of trust process, Seneca Nation say, well, not for us. And if not for the Senecas, then why couldn't it be carved out for other people? Not the same provision, but another provision. And it could be. You know, and shame on, you know, on any of the states that are so hell-bent against Native people that they feel that they've got to take these aggressive actions to try to strip our, our land rights away. That's what the Mashpee are going through. So if you think in light of everything else happening in the United States that, that somehow we've been granted a reprieve, from aggression from states and from the federal government, think again. They are still doing, we're still going through everything that we've gone through before. You still got the governor of the state of New York trying to, uh, you know, trying to extort a half a billion dollars out of the Seneca Nation, a billion dollars really, 
You still have, um, you know, pipelines that are being pushed through our territories on the U.S. and on the Canadian side. You still have aggressive actions from, from again, uh, pro- provinces, states, Canadian federal, U.S. federal. You still have all of that stuff going on. And what's happened, what's happening with the with the mass fee is just disgusting. And you know what? It's like everything else. Using their process to solve our problems is is part of the problem. You know, one I I go back to to attending a um, um, a consultation session in Washington on the UN Declaration of the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, and I kept hearing people from the federal government. They had all stages full of you know different agencies up there, and they says, "Well, the problem we have with the UN Declaration of the Rights of Indigenous Peoples is that uh, is whether it will change international law and upset our current remedy for conflicts with Native people." And they kept saying that. I says, what is this current remedy you're talking about? And they said, well, our court system. I says, so you think your court systems are the remedy for our problems with you? Don't you see a problem with that? You don't see that that's not an independent, you know, arbiter of justice if it's your courts interpreting your law as it relates to somebody who arguably, we argue, were never even a part of your laws. And we've never accepted subjugation. We've never accepted the imposition or the transfer of our sovereignty to you. And yet, you're going to assume that your courts have the jurisdiction to deal with these, with these issues, like, like land issues. In spite of the fact that, it, that the rest of the world, even as we were, I was attending this consultation session, it was in 2010, three years earlier, the rest of the world already passed the UN Declaration of the Rights of Indigenous Peoples with all of that free, prior, and informed consent language. Not, not for the United States. No, the United States, and, and it's, I, have, I have certain problems with using the word sovereignty, but one of the things that is clear is that the United States does not recognize, even as they you know, somehow, some, in some way, subscribe to the aspirations of this international declaration, they don't agree that we have the right to assert sovereignty on our lands. In fact, they distinguish the difference between self-determination and internal self-determination. They say when we, the federal government, says things like self-determination, we don't mean self-determination in the international context of that phrase. We mean internal. We mean they can set up their own internal mechanisms. But, but we absolutely reject the notion that Native people can assert sovereignty over their lands. That's the position of the, of the United States. So FedRec... Um, you know, relationships with the states, relationship with the United States, you know, and this goes on, on, the, on the Canadian side as well. This is why we have the problems we have with U.S., Canada, you know, Ontario, Quebec, New York, whatever state, whatever province, and why we continue to go through, you know, through these, these conflicts. Even when there's a dominant problem that, that, that we essentially should be all on the same page with, they can't even subside, you know, you know, set aside their aggression towards us, even as the world is facing a pandemic. That's it. All right, folks. I want to thank you for listening. Um, look, we'll, I'm, we're going to continue to do the show, so you can you can count us. I know I've had a few glitches over over the last couple of weeks uh, with technical problems, and we will work through them. When in doubt, this show can always be viewed on our YouTube channel, and whatever problems I cause. 
or, or Facebook or anybody else causes, we'll resolve them as we post it up in a, in a YouTube video. And of course, the audio is always good on, on our uh, podcast as well. I want to thank you for listening. And uh, well, we'll be, uh, you know, we'll be back on, on Tuesday. Yahweh.